This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, it's so good to be with you today. Thankful to open up a brand new series as we welcome the Christmas season in. It's a ton of fun. We, we love Christmas because we love the message of Christmas. We love what during this season we're being provoked and reminded of. And, and I pray that over the next few weeks as we gather together, I'm, I'm believing that God is going to do something in your life, I really believe that today this message is pivotal. And if you could really receive what God has for you today, it could be just literally season altering. God could do something amazing. How many of y'all have ever been there where you needed God to do something and you prayed about it and God showed up? And, he, and, and you know what? I think that's really the power of this time of year. Did you know that during Christmas people are more inclined to respond to an invitation. They are. The, the, it's one of the seasons in life, which is why we, we have invitation cards for you. You can be handed those as you walk out. We, we don't do that just to try to promote the next week for you. We actually realize that there are people in your life that need to be a part of a life-giving church, and we want to help you invite them to be a part of this series, this season, because we believe that God could do something in their life. Can I just real quickly just give you some people that might be a good idea to invite? Who do, you, who do you need to invite? Sometimes when we're praying about that, we don't even know who should I invite. But here's a few people that I think are great targets to invite to church. First is people who things are not going well for them. Okay, maybe you know somebody who got, got that diagnosis and it's not, it's not going good. They're struggling with that. Maybe you know who somebody's going through something in their marriage or with their kids. Just things are not going well. Those are good people to invite. They, they need the, the message of peace that this season provides. Here's another one. Think that they were not expecting that. Okay, there, there's just some of us, we go through things, and sometimes we just weren't expecting that. How y'all doing? Oh, you good? You good? Can I get a high five? I'm just going to go ahead and get one. There we go. It's good to see y'all. Man, that's a good looking family right there. They were not expecting that, okay? Think about the family that you know, and and maybe, may, this isn't always bad. It might be maybe they lost their job. They, didn't, they weren't expecting that. But it also might be maybe they found out they're pregnant, and they weren't expecting that. Just and, and what happens is there, there are times in our lives that we need to be grounded. We need to be great. We need some roots in something that's bigger than us. And, and for families, people that you know that are going through, we didn't expect that. That's a great person to invite. And here's really the greatest one to look for is their family's not in church. Their family's not in church. Please, please hear me. I, I think the plan of God, if you look in Scripture, the plan of God is for all of us to live in redemptive biblical community, and that is the local church. You know, the easiest way to pick an animal off is to get them alone. And when we're hurt, when we're wounded, it's so easy to try to withdraw and be alone. But that's also when we create the most vulnerability. 
We're, we're safer together. We're stronger together. We're better together. We need each other. We, we, we need to be in a place like this. We need to be with people that love us. We're, we're, our lives are better. And, and, and there are people in your life that need to be protected, that need to be loved, that need to be encouraged. And, and right now is a great season to invite them. We're also going to do Christmas Eve services this year, um, not exhaustively on Christmas Eve. We're doing them on the 22nd and the 23rd in the evening at 6.30, and then on Christmas Eve at 4. Uh, these are, are just acoustic worship and, and communion. I, I want you to know, like if you've never attended a communion service with us, th these are really, really special. I mean, they the, we, we try to really take the, the sacrament of communion and, and draw out of it what God is saying us through that in the season. It's going to be, I'm just telling you, it's going to be powerful. I don't want you to miss it. You can go online and reserve tickets. We don't charge for tickets, but we give tickets so that we can make sure that there's room for everybody. You can get those at the, the link that's on the screen, vrtx.life forward slash eve-21. You can go there and reserve your tickets. Now, I want to get started today by asking you this question, what is Christmas? What is it? What is it for you? Some of you love Christmas. You had your Christmas tree up for months already. You've been getting ready. You had a Christmas list done in July. You knew who you were going to get this for, and that that's not my family at all. We love Christmas. We enjoy it, but we still don't have our tree up. No joke. Don't get mad at us, okay? Some of y'all going to throw some shade at us because we don't have our tree up and say that we don't love Jesus. That's not true. As a matter of fact, I think for so much of us, when we start thinking about about what is Christmas, what we honestly think of is tradition. And, and, and because of uh, the way some of our families were growing up, Christmas is not a fun time because it wasn't fun when we were growing up. And for some of us, when we think about what is Christmas, we think about that meal that we're going to have. Right. Maybe you have the same, my, my mom and dad do this every year. We have the same meal, same stuff. If you knew my parents, that would make sense to you. We're going to do the same thing every year. It's going to be great. And we're all going to have fun even if you don't have fun, right? We're going to have that. Maybe maybe that's what you do. Maybe it's opening or giving presents. And, and, and the most exciting thing for you is maybe, maybe you're not just, I love getting presents. I'm not going to lie about it, okay? I do. I do, but but now that as I've grown up and we have a ten-year-old this year, it, it is so fun to to be a part of giving them presents. It is so fun to do that. Um, maybe, maybe that's what Christmas is for you. Maybe it is to put up the Christmas tree and to decorate it. What most people don't realize is that much of what we call Christmas actually finds its origins in historical celebrations. Most of those outside of the Christian faith and outside of Christian tradition. I mean, just to be, the, the, the gathering together and eating. We do that throughout the year, don't we? We get together at Thanksgiving and we get together at Christmas and there's other times in the year that we, you know what's, is so much of that actually coincides with historical feasts of celebrations. Literally, if you reversed field 5,000 years, families were doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. Not for the reasons that we do it, but they were doing it in feast celebrations. 
opening pre- we know that presents have been a part of celebrating for for history we know that that when you come and when you go there were presents that you would give we even see that in in the persian magi that show up to jesus who are not they they don't come from the safe faith origin they show up with presents though because that's what you do when you go to see royalty you bring presents so presents are not exhaustive to the Christian tradition either in putting up trees. Now I'm going to mess with some of y'all a little bit, okay? We're going to have some fun. I'm just gonna, we're just going to mess around, toy around with your Christmas traditions. For Did you know that the Romans celebrated a, a feast celebration in, in the same window of time that we celebrate Christmas, late December? It was called Saturnalia. It was celebrated in late December, and it was to celebrate the God of Saturn. The, the made-up mythological god of Saturn. And, and the, the Romans, to do this, they, they would have a feast. that The family would come together. They'd cook a big meal. Everybody would eat it. And then they would go and they would cut down evergreens. And they would bring them into their house. And they would decorate the evergreen trees. The, y- y'all, are, y'all going, oh God, I don't know. He's going to tell us not to have a Christmas tree now. I don't even know where this is going. It can't go anywhere good from here. I know, I understand, okay? Do you know it's even in the Bible? This is going to mess with some of y'all. Y'all ain't going to like me after this. Look, Jeremiah 10, look at this. There, the previous there is, is the nations of the world. There, the nations of the world, their ways are futile and foolish. Look at what they do. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver, and then they fasten it securely with their, fam- their hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Y'all are going, oh, God. I'm going to have to go home and get rid of my tree. That's what, that's what what y'all learned at church today. Don't have a Christmas tree. That's what I learned. And the daggum church had Christmas trees on the stage. <laughs> oh. What, what, so much of what our Christmas is, is, is just culture. It's, it's our culture. It, it's, it's how we grew up. Mom did it that way. And my family did it that way. And I don't really understand it. And, and here's the thing. Did you know that when we deal with culture, we have different options that we can do? The first thing is that we can reject it. We can reject that thing. You, you know that when the early settlers were settling in the United States, the, the origin of the Christmas tree in the United States is very murky because one of the things we do know is that early settlers, the Puritans, which were very devote to G, devoted to Jesus, they rejected the tradition, the European tradition of the Christmas tree. Because they looked at that verse in Isaiah and said, that has some contradiction. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. And so early Puritans actually rejected the Christmas tree. And and, and, in our culture, this is a way that we navigate things that don't make sense in our worldview. We we kick it out. I'm not going to do that. I don't want any part of that. Get away from me. You don't think the way I do. You don't have the same political views that I do. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have anything to do with you. We reject it. Or, number two, and this is what most of us have done at Christmas, we blindly receive. I don't understand it. I just like Christmas tree. It's not Christmas if I don't have a Christmas tree. Don't mess with me. And my, some of y'all are thinking that right now. Don't mess with me and my Christmas tree, Kevin. I'm going to have my Christmas tree. I get out my little Christmas ornaments. I look, my kid made that when they were four. Look at that. And it's God-awful, but we don't care. It's cute. Or we receive it. And there are things in our culture that we don't think about. We just receive them. They, they come in. Whatever, mom did it that way. This is the way I was taught to do it. This, 
receive it. Or, and I believe this is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we redeem it. We redeem it. We don't, we don't reject it. We don't receive We redeem it. This is the way that we teach missionaries to navigate their culture when they go to a different part of the world. If, if they're celebrating a feast, celebrate it with them. But learn how to communicate the gospel of Jesus and to see the gospel of Jesus in that feast. If there's a celebration, if there's any, just get, get involved in, it, in their culture, but find a way to see Jesus in it. Redeem it. To redeem something is to bring it under the authority of the word of God and into obedience to God's will. When we redeem something, we bring it under the authority of God's word and into obedience to God's will. And here's the thing. Like when we think about, about Christmas, when we think about Christmas trees, or we think about a dinner, or we think about what we're doing, whatever it is, for some of us this year, we need to redeem Christmas. Because right now, so much of what we're going to get busy doing for the next two weeks ain't going to have squat to do with your spiritual life. It's going to have a lot to do with let me keep up all the traditions. Let me do all the things. I just want to get all, if I can just check all the boxes off, it'll be great. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you can redeem the next few weeks, bring it under the authority of God's word and into obedience to God's will, I believe that God could do something amazing in your life for the next two weeks. The next week, as we navigate through this time, this wonderful message of a God who won't leave you in your mess. Listen, we made the mess. I don't know if y'all have ever been there as a parent when your kids have made a mess. Y'all, y'all clean it up. I'm not doing that. I'm not, y'all, we're going to wait here all day. Y'all been there before? That's not God. We made the mess, and God came to get into the mess with us to clean it up for us on our behalf. What a powerful moment to be reminded of who God is in our lives. And I think that for so many of us, we are in a moment, and actually this moment is described as Matthew opens up talking about the story of the birth of Christ. I love this. Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. This is how the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, that we, we read that through modern lens. Okay? You guys, I, I, I can look out. I see Zach and Alyssa, and I did your, your wedding just a, a little over a year ago, and you guys got married, and you gave an engagement ring, which means we kind of we promised you know, we, we don't know if we're going to get there, but, but we kind of intend to get there. And then you got there, and then we had a ceremony, and there's another ring. This was way different than that. When, when you got engaged, it was the equivalent of getting married. You, you went to a family, and, and you said, I, Joseph said, I want to marry Mary. This is the girl for me. And, and, and Mary had, had agreed to that. Yes, this is right. And, and, what was, and so a dowry had to be paid. Now, we, we might think in our modern context of saying a dowry was kind of paying for a wife, but it wasn't. See, every kid in the first century was an asset to a family. That, that girl did chores. She helped out around the house. And to help the family overcome the loss of that asset, an amount of money would be paid to that family. Joseph had paid it. And his responsibility was to go back to his life 
life and to start working. And the phrase that was often used is that he would go prepare a place. He was going to be gone. He was going to prepare his life for her. But then something happened. But before the marriage took place, so in this time when Joseph is showing up, he's going to work, he's preparing a place. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is gone off work and he's come home and he's working on his house and he's trying to get his affairs in order one evening and Mary shows up, Joseph, I need, I need to talk to you. Um, something's happened and I, I need to, ex- I'm, I'm pregnant. No, it's not what you're thinking. You're pregnant with the, with the Holy Spirit, Joseph. It's with the Holy Spirit. It's not what you're thinking. Can you imagine? I would, if that was Joseph, I'd be like, yeah, right. You're not pulling this on me. I don't believe you with that Holy Spirit stuff. You know, and, and, and Joseph, we're, we're going to find, Matthew includes a detail in the next verse. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He, righteous means he wanted to do it right. He, he cared about, he loved her. And he wanted to do it right. And he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly, which meant that, that this formal agreement that had been entered into with her family and him had to be broken. And the only way he could do that was with another ceremony. He was going to do it quietly. He wasn't going to embarrass her. He, he, want, he also, when, when it says that he wanted to do it right, when she was found to be pregnant, he would have looked at that as like, I, I don't know that I can marry you now. Can you imagine how confused he was? Can you imagine how lost he was? How broken his heart was? How he didn't understand? Just, I thought that was that was my one. I I thought we were going to build a life together. I I thought this was going to work out. Can you imagine that? But look at what happens. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now remember, he's righteous, okay? Matthew included this detail. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There's confirmation. God is sending his word, and there's confirmation to what Mary has told him. And this is in addition to what's already been told him. Look at this. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in his heart, in his mind, it all would have clicked. All the puzzle pieces would have fallen in. Because what he's going to recognize is exactly what Matthew tells us next. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with. And he would have been like, that. That's what's going on. He would have gotten it. And so watch what happens here. When Joseph woke up. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Are you, like Joseph, sleeping? Are you like Joseph, are you sleeping? There's a way of living that's a lot like sleeping. There's a way that we go through life 
that we can navigate our lives, that we can go through seasons of our lives, and it is a lot like being asleep. Ephesians 5 says this. This again, the Apostle Paul is, is quoting Isaiah chapter 41. Their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light of the world makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you life. There, there's a way of... of uh, here's the thing. If, if you're reading something, you ain't dead, okay? I'm sorry. All right, you're not. And so there's a way of living that, that is a lot like being asleep, and the Apostle Paul is quoting that here, saying, saying no, that, w- wake up. Wake up. How do I know if I'm living asleep? How do I know? Today, I'm, 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 I'm going to help. I believe there's some of you that when I describe this, things are going to make sense. Maybe for the first time. You, you've been going through some things. You've been struggling. You have not, and it hasn't made sense, but but sometimes we're living and we're actually asleep. And here's one of the ways that we can do that. We'll know because we're living with a profound sense of confusion. Imagine Joseph. Joseph knew the way the story was supposed to go. I, I have paid my dowry. I'm doing my work. She's supposed to be mine. It's all supposed to work out. And then all of a sudden, it didn't. Confusion. Y'all ever been asleep and had a dream? And just... You know that if you were awake and you thought about that, it would make no sense to you. But in the middle of sleeping, just all stuff, it just feels real and you feel confused. Like, why is this going on? I don't understand. You ever have? I have a nightmare. I have a recurring nightmare. It happens probably every about two or three weeks. And in this nightmare, I am, I am, I get really confused. There's no way outside of that nightmare that I would ever believe it's real. No way. But in this night, it feels real, and I'm so confused, and I don't understand anything that's happening, and I feel like my world's falling apart. My my nightmare, and this is no joke, this is absolutely real, happened earlier this week. My nightmare is that I'm in a math class. (laughs) This is the honest truth. And this past week, I'm in a math class, and I've got a sheet in front of me, and the teacher's teaching something, and I'm like, I don't understand any of this. It feels like you're speaking Portuguese. It doesn't, like, this is not even real. Like, what? And I know, man, I've got two college degrees. I've got a high school diploma. There's no reason for the rest of my life that I'm ever going to be in a math class, ever. It ain't happening. But every once in a while, this, this nightmare, it's probably, and you know what's funny? My dad came up to me after the first service and goes, I have that too. Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. But it happens. Everyone, you know, the, the thing that I, I want some of you to understand is that your life feels like that. You know I'm not supposed to be thinking. I'm not supposed to be. I, I, but, but I feel confused. I don't know whether to believe this or this or this or, or this. I don't, I don't know. Is that person is in this? I don't know which direction to go. I don't know where to anchor my soul. I don't know where, where to find peace. And here's the thing. I just want to remind you, 1 Corinthians 14, I love this. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. 
God's work in your life is to construct a world that lives in harmony and peace with itself. God is, and that's what peace means. Peace does not mean the absence of, of tensions. Peace is where the stuff just kind of all works together. It's like a puzzle that just is coming together. God is working to do that. God is not trying to author confusion. And a lot of the times we're leaning into the stuff that's bringing and provoking and causing confusion when God is trying to bring peace. And that's the thing about confusion. Confusion robs you of peace. And we know that there are seasons of our lives that we're living asleep because we're living with a profound sense of confusion. And that doesn't come from God. But it's not just that. It also comes from times when we're living without a sense of calling and purpose. We're, 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 living, we're, we're living without, like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I look back over the last week or the last month and the last year, and it, and I, I just and I, it just feels meaningless. It doesn't. I don't see any purpose in it. It feels lost and and broken. We're living without a sense of calling and purpose. Please hear what I'm about to say, if that's how you felt. God has a purpose for every breath, every day, in every season, no matter where you are today. No matter what you're going through, God has a purpose. There's meaning in it. I mean, I look around the room and I know some of the stories that are represented here. And there's some of y'all that y'all have been through some hard things in the last couple years. Y'all have. And, and I want you to know that when we go through some difficult things, it might be difficult. I don't, you will never hear me call it bad. Because it might be difficult, but God has a good purpose in it, okay? But sometimes we can be detached from the purpose. We can live outside that purpose, and we can do, we can go through. I love routines, don't get me wrong, but I love routines that are connected to purpose. When you have a routine that doesn't have a purpose, what you end up doing is you wake up, I fix breakfast, I go to work, I come home, take care of some things, go to bed, wake up, cook some breakfast, go, and, and at the end of the week, you look back and go, what was that all for? I don't know what I, I don't even know why I'm doing this. It's like I'm just sleepwalking through life. Ephesians 2 says this, and some of y'all need to hear this, just let it get into your hearts today. We are God's masterpiece. We are. We are God's masterpiece. God created you, and He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that what? We can do the good things He planned for us to do long ago. God made you. God has good things for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. But our life will always lack when we're not living in God's purpose for our life. It, we're, we're always going to feel like there's a hole. There's something missing. I just don't feel like I'm getting it. it there's, there's more. There's, there, and the more is always living in the purposes of God. And here's one more way that we can live asleep. And that's when we live in this way where what you know and what you feel are in conflict. And I, I know, but but I feel, and, and I feel, and it's so acute that it almost is more important to me than what I know. I, I know this, but but I feel. I know I know this, but but I feel. 
This, there's something that happened in the early years that we got married that nobody warned me. And so if you're in the early years of being married, I'm going to warn you. Um, or if maybe one day you want to be married, I'm going to warn you. This Nobody told me that this was going to happen. And it caught me by so It wrecked my heart in some, in some ways. We would go to bed and we would be so loving. You know, we'd be looking at each other in the eyes. I love you. I love you. You are amazing. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You are the most <laughs> handsome man I've ever been. <laughs> That's not how it was. <laughs> this is fun to dream, you know. Maybe one day. But we'd go to bed and we'd be on good terms, you know. And, and we'd wake up. And my wife would wake up and she'd look at me, get away from me. Get in the living room. You know what you did. I don't, I don't know. I went to sleep. That's all I know. Get in the living room. Get away from me. I had a dream about you last night. <laughs> what? I had a dream, and in my dream, you did something. I hate you. Get away. Like, what? Nobody told me that was going to happen, but it happened. We actually had a friend who was a psychologist. We sat down. We are having dinner. He's like, sounds healthy to me, man. It's like, all right. All right. Great. Good. You ever, you ever been there, though? You ever been there when there's a, a conflict with what you know and what you feel? There's a conflict. Now, this is not confusion. A confu- confusion is, here are the four, four things. I don't even know what to believe. In this, here are the two things. And I believe this. It's my feeling. I know this. But... And, and, and what does culture say? Culture says, follow your feelings. Follow your, follow your heart. Follow, look inside. right? Follow. But here's the thing about, about feelings. And I, I'm, I'm going to love you enough to tell you this. And somebody needs to have the courage to tell you this. Feelings follow actions. You, you might not feel it now. But if you'll do what's right, eventually the feelings will follow your choices. Feelings follow. Feelings make really bad leaders. Feelings follow. And you know, when we're dealing with the tension between the truth and what we feel, we got to know that we got to go with what we know to be true. And I know this is something you see throughout the Bible, but we see it so specifically here in John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's what you know that leads to your experience. You will know. Th- it doesn't say you'll feel the truth. It doesn't even say you'll understand it. You'll know it. You'll know it, and then it leads to your experience. And sometimes we can, man, we can live asleep. Because, because of the tension and the, what we feel is just so much more acute than what we know. I, I want you to think about this with me. What's lulled you to sleep? If you're here today and you feel like maybe I'm, I, I, I'm one of those, what's lulled me to sleep? And, and Tre- Trevin Wax wrote, wrote this really great book, took a lot of philosophical ideas and boiled it down. It's called Know Yourself. And, and, he, and he said there, there are three ways that we come to understand our lives. Number one, we look up. We, we look to a higher authority. We, we look to a, a faith system. 
we look up. We, we look in. We look into our hearts. We, we look around. These are the, the ways that we come to know ourselves and our lives. And in his research, he asked the question, how do we as a culture understand ourselves and our lives? How do we understand? And what he said is, number one, primarily we look inside. In a recent survey, and this is Gallup, it's, it's a national American poll, 91% of Americans, when asked the question, what is the best way to know yourself, said look inside. Look in your heart. 91%. Look in your heart. Look in your heart. This is the follow your heart, listen to your dreams, know your passion. What, what, what do you feel like your heart's saying to you? What's your gut say? And then what will happen is we, we look inside and we decide this is, these are my political views. This is what I'm passionate about. And then what happens, number two, we look around. And then we find people who have the same political views, the same ideologies, the same passions. And we go, we can be friends because we're the same. And then it doesn't mean that we don't look up, but maybe we look up. And when we do, we, we, we look up to try to find a system of faith that matches the things that we've already decided about for ourselves. I don't know if you're like me, but I can't help but look at that. Would you put that back up there? I can't help but look at that and see how broken that is. It looks really broken on top of the Christmas slide. But there we go. That's perfect right there. This is so important for you to hear. The reason that this is so broken and busted is it all depends on you. All depends on how good you are and how smart you are in the work that you do. Please hear what I'm about to say. You cannot define yourself by looking inside yourself. Some of y'all got ate up by Ariel and the Little Mermaid, okay? A whole new world, whatever, right? Dad, I don't want to be a mermaid. I want legs. Give me legs. What? What? You can't tell me who I am. You can't tell me what I want to be. I know who I am. You can't define your life by looking inside. And here's why C.S. Lewis famously pointed out the flaw in that, because looking inside will invariably look around. Lewis said famously that nobody says, I want to be fast. They say, I want to be faster than him. No girl says, I want to be pretty. They say, I want to be prettier than her. Nobody says, I want to be wealthy. They say, I want to be wealthier than them. It always, no matter what you do, it always is born out of a sense of comparison and contrast to the world that you are surrounded by. You can't look inside. And I just want to point this out, that this has become the primary mode of parenting in our generation. Well, you need to figure out what works for you. Since when are you pulling that as a parent? Are you playing that game at dinner? Like, okay, you don't want to eat what we cook. We'll just cook chicken nuggets for you every night. 
No. And if you are, shame on you. It's not. Listen, somebody in this world is discipling your kids. Somebody is telling your kids what to believe. It might be Ariel, it might be YouTube, but the job was given to you. And if you won't stand up and do it, somebody else will. Can I remind you of what we looked at here? Ephesians 2, look at this. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. God made you. God knows the weaknesses and strength that you come into this moment with. God knows the person that he created. And here's the thing about we can look inside trying to get to know ourselves. And believe me, hear me, there are good things in you. God has done some amazing, some, he's planted some amazing things in you. I'm not denying that. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Only the creator can define the creation. A creation is totally inept at defining itself. Only the creator can. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Look up. Our creator has the power to define our purpose and meaning, to shape what is our reality. And this is why we need to redeem Christmas. Go, just go back to Joseph, right? He's confused. He's kind of lost his purpose. The world seems like it got turned upside down. He doesn't know what to believe about Mary. He feels like he's lost his, his marriage, but he's asleep, right? I mean, he's proverbially asleep, but he's literally asleep. And in his sleep, God's word comes to him. And I love what the Bible, I love how simple the Bible makes this. Look at this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He, he obeyed God. He heard the voice of God, and he woke up, and he said, I'm not playing with this anymore. It's not confusing. I know what to do, and I'm going to obey. So in Ephesians 5, what does Paul say? Paul says, this is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need to wake up and look up. We need to wake up and look. We need to wake up in our marriage. We need to wake up and look up and stop looking at your spouse to be your fulfillment. Stop looking at your spouse to be the answer. We need to wake up and look up. God, you're the answer. We need to wake up with our kids. Stop looking at our kids to fix our problems and start looking up and saying, God, what do I need to do to be obedient as the parent of this child? Even if you came in today carrying a lot of hurt and a lot of woundedness, to wake up and look up. Stop walking through life wounded and say, God, I, I know that this is, is painful and it hurts and it doesn't make sense. But God, I know that you are a good God. And in the middle of all this, you have a good plan. Did you notice what that, that quote from Isaiah that Paul quotes to the church in Ephesus? It says, wake up. For the light is coming. You know that our bodies are made to wake up at sunrise. 
the, the healthiest way for us to wake up is when light enters the room. And do you know how John, the best friend of Jesus, described Christmas? John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. That's Christmas. This is why we need Christmas. This is why we need Christmas. Christmas is a wake-up call to a world that's sleeping. It's a wake-up call. Joseph heard the voice of God. He heard it. God spoke to him. And he, and he wrestled through it and he came out on the other side and he obeyed God when he woke up. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is for, I believe there's some dads in here that need to hear this today. Not only did it happen then, but it happened again. Months later, the voice of God comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you got to get up. You got to get out of here. The king is coming for your son. You got And the Bible records this detail in the book of Matthew. In the middle of the night, he got his family up. And look, he didn't even have to wait till the morning this time. He got up in the middle of the night and said, I've seen God show up when he spoke to me. We're going to obey him now. We're leaving. And because of that, when Herod came for Jesus, Jesus wasn't there. And he pursued protected his family because he listened to the voice of God and he obeyed it. He woke up and it's time for some of us in this room to wake up to the voice of God. And how do we know? Because we wake up and we obey. We wake up. That's what Joseph did. He woke up and he obeyed. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.